morning, everybody. I am uh, really happy to be here. I don't know if you are the happy that I'm here, but I really am. When Gene and I first were introduced to this family, this church family, about a year and a half ago, we knew that you were an answer to our prayers. You really were. And on this special day, Father's Day, happy Father's Day, by the way, to all of you fathers, grandfathers, fathers-to-be, um, I kind of feel like when Dennis asked me if I would preach on um, this particular day, that I would be preaching to the choir. Because when we first came to Bethany, and we looked around and observed all of you guys, I got to tell you, I've never saw so many perfect fathers in my life. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Who were producing such perfect children. I mean, perfect kids, my goodness, they're all over the place. Or, I mean, either you guys were doing something right all along, or all of you guys married way up, <laughs> which I tend to, um, as I tell myself that, I tend to believe myself. But anyway, um, we just really thank God for the opportunity to be here with you, and uh, we want to talk about Father's Day, and uh, the title of our message this morning is My Dad the Mason. I'm not talking about the Masonic Lodge type of Masons. I'm talking about the cement mixer Masons. The guys who work so hard to make sure the basement walls are spot on, plumb and level and straight and uh, it's heavy lifting, just like fatherhood is heavy lifting. And um, my dad wasn't a mason. Maybe yours was. Maybe you are a mason. Do we have any masons here? Okay. So I, I, I didn't see any bulging muscles necessarily this morning. Uh, that would have been my first clue. But the, the fact of the matter is... Being a mason is hard work, and being a father is very hard work as well. And I want to talk this morning about, we're going to camp for most of the morning in Genesis chapter 27. If you want to turn to that in your real Bible, or if you have some sort of device, you know, that brings up that uh, particular portion of Scripture. Did my sound just go away? I'm sorry. I'm okay. Okay. So, um, turn to that and hold it. We're going to, first of all, look in chapter 25, because that contains a uh, very vital bit of information that we need to understand before we get into the bulk of the message. However, there's something I want to do first. I want all of you fathers and grandfathers, and if you are a father of 
um, maybe a baby that's on its way and you don't mind sharing that information with everybody else. I know some women are really, really uh, concerned about keeping it quiet as long as possible. But if you've got a baby on the way or if you're a father or if you're a grandfather, would you stand? I want to say a prayer for you. Okay, that's a, that's a good bunch. All right, would you all bow your heads with me as we pray, please? Dear Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you, dear Lord, for these men who are standing before us today. Thank you, Lord, for the responsibilities that they have willingly taken on and the faithfulness that they are demonstrating in their lives and in their homes. May the Lord bless you men and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Dear friends, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are in spirit. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I would want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God the Father. When I think of all of this, men, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. But then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So, Father in heaven, please give these men who are standing before us right now your strength to guide them and wisdom to guide them. Would you give them your power to uphold them uh, and their families? Would your eye, Heavenly Father, be the vision through which they look? And may your ear be that which they hear through. And may your word, Father, be their speech. Please, Father, use your hands to protect these fathers and grandfathers and fathers-to-be. And may your pathway before them uh, be the pathway that they trod upon throughout their lives. I pray that your shield 
will will be there to shelter these men and their families. I pray, God, that your angels will guard these, these men, every single one of them individually, Father, to protect them from the ambush of Satan and from sin's allurements, from the traps of the flesh, from all who wish to harm them, whether they're a long ways away or close. So, Father, please wrap your loving arms around these men as they lead their families. And uh, bless this morning, Father, in these few minutes we have together that each word spoken would be a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my dad, the Mason, my dad was not a Mason. He was a heavy construction operator. And um, he was not a believer. He was... Um, in fact, the night he died at 43 years of age, he was so drunk he couldn't stand up. So I, I never had a father role model. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that'll do. Well, it was. Hang on, we're, we're just about there. Okay. Thank you very much. Fatherhood is under attack today. It really is. There are plenty of fathers who have yielded to the authority of their wives in their homes and no longer take a stand, no longer uh, are recognized by even the children as the authoritative head of their home. That, my friends, is not only sad, it's disastrous. Gene and I were at our chiropractors here two or three weeks ago and um, I was laying on the table, you know, and my face was all crunched up, so I couldn't talk real plain. But enough so, the three of us were talking about Brady's wife, who is a high-powered school administrator in Waterloo, in the school system there. And um, so I said, Brady, have you ever noticed that, that men um, like you and me Men who are real calm and, and sweet-spirited and, and uh, easygoing and quiet guys tend to marry women who are strong-willed and bossy and loud. Have you ever noticed that? And for a couple seconds, it was dead silent in the room. Even Gene didn't say anything. <laughs> and so, I, so after a couple seconds... I heard this little, yeah, yeah, why is that? And I said, oh, Brady, it's just that old uh, opposites attract thing. Don't worry about it. It's nothing to get upset about. Anyway, what I'm trying to illustrate is, very poorly, by the way, that fatherhood is under attack. And men are being put in a place God never intended for them to be put, 
And women are being put in a place God never intended for them to have to be put. So we've got a problem on our hands, and uh, we need to figure out a solution. This morning, I want to talk about something from Genesis chapter 27. This is Genesis 27. This is showcasing the most dysfunctional family that you read about in the Bible. I kid you not. This is... Isaac and Rebekah, who had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And they were twins. They weren't identical twins. In fact, they were nothing alike. And yet, um, they were twins. But unfortunately, part of the dysfunction of this family was um, Esau, while he was a very robust, he was the older born. He was very robust and uh, red when he came out of the womb and very hairy to the point where chapter 25 says that he had hair so thick it was like fur. Have you ever seen a kid like that? Well, later on in the chapter, in chapter 27, we find Rebecca concocting a scheme whereby she and her son Jacob cheat their father out of the family blessing. And Jacob said initially, well, mom, that ain't going to work. I mean, he's hairy and my skin is soft and smooth. She said, you leave that to me. Never underestimate the the influence of a very clever woman. Rebecca was a very clever woman. Look at chapter 27 and verse uh, 1. We're going to start. It says, One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I might die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Now the the family blessing that he's referring to here is a um, formal bequeathing of the authority and the leadership responsibilities of the patriarch of the family to the older son. It was a natural part of the Hebrew system. Well, look at verse 5. Oh, and by the way, since they were going to be the new patriarch of the family, that older son, Uh, they were given a double portion of the liquid assets of the family. All of the possessions that could be handled um, or driven and uh, all of the money. So what I'm saying is this was a really big deal in the Hebrew culture. It was a big event. And... um, Rebecca, however, in verse 5, overheard what Isaac had said to her son, to his son Esau. 
Do you suppose that was an accident? She just happened to be walking through the tent and overheard? Uh, no, I, I doubt it very much. But anyway, so when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your dad say to his son Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a, dishes, a delicious meal, and I will, after I eat it, I will bless you with the family blessing. And Jacob is smarter than his mom here, and he says, well, he's going to know the dad is going to know the difference between us. We don't sound alike, we don't look alike, we don't feel alike. So do you know what she did? She had all that covered except for the voice. She couldn't do much about that. But she said, make your voice sound rougher, and I'll do something else for you. So she went and got some goat skins. Have you ever seen a goat skin wrapped around a person's arm? Well, let me show you what it looks like. I mean, who needs two goats anyway? So this is a, this is a skin from a young goat. I, I kid you not. Okay. I think in psychology they call that unintended consequences. Anyway, I didn't. Anyway, here's, so she wraps his arms and his hands and the soft part of his neck with this. They, you know, he had a beard, but this was an extension. And Esau, the boy, was like this all over. I mean, I declare, if you saw him naked out in the wild, you'd, you'd swear it was a bear. <laughs> no pun intended there either. <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is, she was trying to pull off a massive scheme here to steal the family blessing for her favorite son, Jacob. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not here to debate the ethics of what all is transpiring here. I, I don't know if, if it was right or wrong. We do know that God told Rebecca back in chapter 25 that her younger son was going to rule over her older son. This was God's will. And how Rebecca pulled it off, I'm not sure what else she could have done. Because I'm guessing at 100 years of age that uh, Isaac wasn't going to be too easily convinced that he should give the family blessing to his younger son rather than his older son. But anyway, that's what happened. And um, there has been a lot of Bible scholars, students of the Bible, who have discovered that in the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob, that there are four components to that. The most well-known, I'm sure, is the Gary Smalley, John Trent book entitled The Blessing. Some of you may have that. Maybe you have read it. 
But the fact of the matter is, scholars for, since the beginning of the Bible, they have discovered four distinct ingredients in giving your child a blessing. And dad, if there is anything that you and I should do for our children, it is to bless them. You know what a blessing is? The kind that comes from God? Well, I've got a formal definition here. It is simply the conveying of God's favor and protection to someone else. And you and I, fathers, are the ones who are responsible in our homes for doing that very thing. And we should, we should do it every single day. Let me, let me show you these four parts, and I will go very, oh my, very, very fast here. And I'll just give you the bare bones. Number one involves touching. This is exceedingly important if you're going to bless your children. You've got to touch them. And I, I cannot count the number of kids and adults that I have counseled over the years who have told me that when they were growing up, they never one time saw their dad kiss their mom or hug her or tell her that he loved her. And what is even more drastic than that, not one time did he ever say to them, I love you. And touch them with an embrace or a kiss. Or even shake their hand. You know, which is silly. But I actually have seen that. Fathers who were stiff as a brand new two by six, eight foot long, who couldn't bring themselves to touch their son and give him a hug, they shook hands. It's like, man, are you kidding me? I hope that doesn't describe you, Dad. You know, I know we all have different temperaments, and some of us are gushy and some of us are not. Some of us are warm and some of us are cold. Well, with your kids, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to carry around a little pocket heater in your pocket. You need to get warm. Look at me. No, not, not, don't look at me. Look at verse 21. <laughs> look worth, with me. Uh, verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure you really are Isaac. Verse 22, so Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. And he scratches his head and he said, well, the voice is Jacob's, but I mean, the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. Look at verse 26. Then Isaac said to Jacob, 
Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced. And he blessed his son and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So without going into any kind of detail, but this is not an isolated incident in Scripture. Whenever, within the Hebrew culture, whenever a blessing was conveyed on someone else, there was always touching. Could be an embrace, could be um, a, a kiss, but uh, it was that always touching took place. Appropriate touching, of course, I'm talking about. And uh, because what touching does is, if it's laying on of hands even, it is something that conveys warmth and uh, uh, love and acceptance. And if there's anything our kids need, it's love and acceptance. They need to feel accepted. Now, I know when your kid's small, they don't understand words, but I'll tell you what they do understand. They understand touching. You, you hug them. You cuddle them. You, um, you, you swaddle them. You embrace them gently and hold them. And they feel safe when you touch them in that way. Okay, number two. Not only touching, you got to use words, not just words, the right words. Come on, guys. You know, we've got access to the whole English vocabulary and all of the words that that comprises. So what you need to do is get smart and find the right words that your kids need and say them to them. Look at verse 27. So Jacob went over and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. I'm sure that kids today would not understand it if our our darling little daughter came in from the outside and I said, to her, oh, sweetie pie, come here and sit on daddy's lap. You smell just like a feedlot. <laughs> or our son comes bouncing into the room and we say, oh, Donnie, you smell so much like the north pasture. <laughs> but to an old outdoorsman like Isaac, I mean, that was, that was the highest compliment you could pay. And so he pays it, and it's an appropriate payment. The smell of any outdoor space was magical to him. It was a great smell. But the last thing you do, Dad, the last thing, the never thing you do to your kids is belittle them. 
You don't call them stupid. You don't call them fat. You don't call them skinny. You don't call them a scarecrow. You don't call them dumb or lazy. You just don't do that to your kids. Do you know what that does to them? It makes them shrivel up inside. They, they just shrivel up and they grow to hate themselves. Because here's what happens, dads. Kids believe everything you say to them about them. And make your words chosen, special words from the English vocabulary. Kids are not going to be perfect. They're going to fail. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall. They're going to rebel. But I'll tell you what. Let me give you a bit of advice. So many of us dads do battle over non-issues in our family. Pick your battles, dad. And the most important thing you can remember is that there are many hills in your family upon which you do not want to die. They're all lethal hills. Stay away from them. The third thing, very quickly here, is we need to give them affirmation. To affirm means to state as a fact. Look at verse 28 in Genesis 27. It says, uh, so Jacob went over and kissed him anyway, blah, blah, blah. And we just read that, didn't we? Verse 28, I mean. So um, it says this, from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. What he's saying here is, you are so special, son, daughter, you are so special that God is going to give you the very best that he has to give. This is in your future if you stay walking with God. Um, in John, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, John chapter 17, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. And I don't know if you have really grabbed hold of this passage before, but we're, it, this is the famous prayer of Jesus in the Bible, Acts 17, and, uh, or John 17. And um, verse 23 is the one I want to point out for you. Jesus says, he's finishing a sentence, and he says, I in them and you in me, all being perfected into one, so that... The world will know you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Who was saying that? Jesus. He was saying, if, if all of these followers of the way these believers, if they are united 
two things are going to happen. Number one, the world will know that Christianity is true. They'll know you sent me. You'll, they'll know that I am the Son of God. And number two, they will come to understand that you love them as much as you love me. What I'm saying, folks, is you need to teach that truth to your kids. And you need to teach them that every single day. And not let it grow cold or dim in your house. There's a lot of ways we can affirm our kids, not just with words, but... Um, like we come in, we're bushed at night, we're just feeling like we got run over by a semi, and uh, we just want to collapse in our favorite chair, and, and here comes the kids. One of them, or two of them, or five of them, or eight of them, how many you have. And uh, they just kind of line up wanting to talk to you. They want your attention. And so you can resist that. You can say, oh, kids, please, just would you let Daddy alone for right now? We can, okay, this weekend, I'm going to have free time on Saturday. We'll talk then. <laughs> Do you know what happens to them? They feel... Um, they, they, they just feel like they're shriveling up inside. They, they feel less than important. They feel unimportant. What you need to do is when, you're, when you get home and when your kids come in, I mean, it's just like a, a bunch of puppies you know, they just come and they're full of energy and, and uh, they, they want you to be with them and talk to them and touch them. You need to put your devices down. Your computer, you turn the TV off. Let your kids know that they are more important than your fatigue. They are more important than that stupid football game, especially if the ugh, Hawkeyes are playing. <laughs> okay, I just made a lot of friends and enemies with that. I know. I know. <laughs> well, the fourth thing, very quickly here, and I'm sorry, Dennis. But I will, I will try to wrap this, this up in another half an hour or so. Uh, <laughs> um, look at verse 29. It says, um, many, May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And all who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. Do you think that, that it's still important to be friends with Israel? Okay, if you said yes, you're, you're correct. Um, 
What Isaac is doing here is presenting to his children a continual panor. He's telling them, you are so special that God is going to burst open the storehouses of his blessings and shower them down upon you. And you, as a father, need to present to your children a continual and daily and panoramic view of the glorious future that they have if they continue to follow Jesus throughout their life. I've got a list of 95-plus blessings that we read in the Bible that we can claim as our very personal own and give them to our children. You, you teach your children. You walk with God. You walk with Jesus all the time, and you will find blessing coming upon blessing upon blessing in your life. And then there's that verse that somebody, I forget who it was, mentioned it, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Y'all know, uh, can somebody quote that for me? That's a, that's a real well-known verse in the Old Testament on child ring. What does it mean? What does it say? Yeah, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That is the most familiar scripture on child-rearing in the Bible, and it is the most misunderstood. Because we've tended to, um, at least from my faith tradition, we've always said, uh, we've always put a spiritual application on there. And it goes something like this. You... Uh, Make sure that your child has a continual diet of scripture in their lives. Make sure that they know the Ten Commandments. Make sure that your children uh, never miss a Sunday school. Make sure that they're always in church. Make sure that they're in every camp that they can be put in in the summer. And uh, on and on it goes because, let's face it, rebellion is a problem. And a lot of kids have to go out and sow their wild oats. But, don't worry, we have an ironclad promise from God that they're going to come back. You know what? That is about as far from the truth as can be. I can tell you uh, that, in fact... There are some kids who do go out and sow wild oats, and they may be gone from the faith for years and eventually come back to the Lord. But I can show you more examples of kids who have left the faith, gone out into a life of sin, and chose to die in their sin rather than come back to Jesus. Say, well, what does this verse mean? <laughs> I, I mean, let me tell you what it means. It's a word picture. It is a, 
that, that application, that spiritual application, fails two tests. It fails the test of taking into account the intricate, colorful Hebrew uh, word picturing from the Hebrew poet who wrote it. And number two, it fails experientially. It just is not something to be guaranteed. Here's, wh here's what it means. It's, it's, it's a word picture that's actually picturing a branch. Here's your first kid, here's your second kid, and here's your oopsie kid, way up here, <laughs> several years later. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No. no. So, um, some of our, okay, I got to do this. You push your kid too far to make him go in the direction you want him to go. He is naturally going in this direction. Do you know why? Because that's the bent in his road that God gave him. The Hebrew words here are for train, it's the word that means to narrow down like a funnel, narrow down to a narrow space. And you pour your strongest efforts then into giving that child all the training and encouragement he needs to go in the way he should go is the Hebrew word that means direction or literally bent, whichever way he is naturally bent, you encourage him in that way. So dad, you may have been a big high school and college football jock, and your kid may be a natural athlete, and you think that he should have it all, you would have maybe tried the NFL if you hadn't hurt your knee. But you know what? Your kid may hate football. He lives with it so constantly with you. And so you've forced him, you've encouraged him, you have said even something as strong as, you know, if you don't, if you don't go in the direction I want you to go, I, you're going to have to pay for your own college. Now, oh, that'd be a shame. All of my kids paid for their own college. <laughs> Every single one of them. So... And it wasn't because they, never mind. But anyway, here's what happens. If you try to force your kid to go in a direction he doesn't want to go, you may get him to take the right courses, but that's what's going to happen. You're going to break him. You're going to break him maybe fatally, but you're sure going to break his spirit. You're going to break his will. And he will probably never be the same again or forgive you. So, in closing, here, here's, you know, I think this, these four things, the touching, the right words, the affirmation, uh, drawing a picture for your kids every day of the glorious life that can be theirs. I think this is the mortar 
that holds a family together. At least it's part of the mortar, I know that. So, and you single mothers, I want to say a quick word for you. I, uh, I really feel for you in my heart. If you're a single mother, it doesn't matter why you're single. Maybe divorce, maybe your you had to bury your husband. Maybe your husband was a no good bum and he ran off with somebody else. Or maybe you never were married and had kids or a kid. I want to tell you something, you are not on your own. You're not alone. The Bible says in, in Psalm 68, sing praises to God and to his name, sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord, rejoice in his presence. Father, because he is father to the fatherless and he is a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. You're not on your own. Plus you have the strength, the whole strength of this church family behind you. And you have the support and protection of an eldership that is strong and mighty warriors for Jesus. Would you bow with me for prayer, please? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the example in Genesis 27. May we learn from it. Please go with us, Father, and may we um, glorify you and lift up the Lord Jesus, in whom we pray. Amen.